morning we look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in to hear him, that's Jesus, to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon, that is Peter, answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and to help them, and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their nets to land, they left everything and followed him. For our ministry highlight today, as we prepare for our offering and we meditate on our hearts of what God has blessed us with as we give back. We've had a great time of doing ministry this week. If you were here at the beginning of the service, you saw thank you scroll through from where we fed on a conservative number, 1,800 people at North Oaks of chicken and beans and potato salad. 1,800. That's right. That's a lot of chicken, right? But there was also a lot of rain on Thursday when we did that. But it was a great time. It was a great time fellowship and it was a great time serving, giving back to our community. And we do this not to pat ourselves on the back. We do this because it's out of the abundance that God has given us, right? And we can do this because of your generous offerings, your sacrifice of volunteering and financial donations. And we do appreciate that greatly, okay? So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we reflect on what God has done this past week, but what he's going to continue to do during this service as well. Please join me in prayer. Father God, we do thank you for today. Father, we've seen you move in the past couple of weeks in many people's lives. Father, through mission events. Father, we rejoice who you are. We celebrate you. Because, Father, we cannot outgive you. And, Father, tasks that we think that are extremely difficult or hard or even impossible, you're right there to meet those needs. And we rejoice in that. We worship you. Father, let your love just keep overflowing in our life. Let your love just keep pouring out from us. Because it is through you that we're able to do mission opportunities. It's through you we're able to change people's lives. I pray and ask, Father, for someone, even in this service, that their life has changed forever through your Son, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray and ask it. Amen.
Good morning. I don't know if we've said this yet, uh, but happy Valentine's Day. I hope someone has said that to you, uh, but I do want to let you know that on this Valentine's Day, I want you to know that you are loved. Uh, I want you to know that you are loved by this church. I want you to know that you are loved by your pastor. And I want you to know that you are loved by God. And I hope that you hear that and feel that deep, deep down uh, this morning. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5 uh, this morning. Quick question as we get started. True or false? So you got a 50-50 chance on it, okay? No pressure. I know it's cold. Your brain's not working yet. So 50-50, here's the question. True or false? You ready? People never change. All right. <laughs> now, in the first service, they were jumping out with answers as well, and it'd be curious to know how everyone would answer. And if we could have a little bar chart that it went up this way and that way, it'd be interesting to see that. But you know what? I think almost more interesting is kind of the reasons behind people answer the way that they answer. It could be that you say false because you're just an optimist. You, you just believe and the best is going to happen and you just really want to know you, you've got a chance and you're just an optimistic person. It, it could be the other way around. Uh, you could be an optimist. Oh, it's never going to work. They're never going to change. I'm going to do that. It could be that it's been a rough week for you. And it could be that in this week you've been hurt by somebody that you've been hurt by before. And you have muttered under your breath, maybe over your breath, all week long. Some people just can't change. Maybe you answer, people can change, because that's been the experience of your own life. You have changed, and so you say, I have changed, so I know that it's possible to change. It's also possible that you answer that with a giant question mark, but it's the biggest question in your life these days. Is it possible for people to change? And the reason why it matters so much to you is because there are some things in your life, there are some experiences, there are some things that you're feeling, there are some places where you are where you need to know that it is possible for change to happen. You're not sure, but your hope, your dependence, the ache of your heart is, I need to know, I need to be reassured, I need to be convinced that it's possible for people to change because there are some things in my life that I am desperate to see rearranged in my life. Well, here's the good news. In fact, it's not just good news, it's great news. Jesus is a life changer. Then and now. Jesus is a life changer. Back when we read the text this morning and right now, and I feel pretty good about tomorrow too, Jesus is a life changer. Now as we look at Luke chapter 5, I think one of the things that I find interesting in Luke chapter 5 is that I'm not sure that Peter was really hungry for life change. Now, and I'm not throwing dirt at Peter. I'm not kicking any dust at Peter in this moment. But the truth of the matter is, is that as you take a look at Peter's life in Luke chapter 5, 
There's a lot of things that are in place for, for Luke uh, or for Peter. There, there's a lot of things that, that are right where you would think that he wants them to be. We don't see any evidence of brokenness in terms of Peter's life. We don't see this massive moral failure. We don't see a collapse. We don't see a sickness or an illness or anything broken that would put him at the front of the lines and, oh, please, there's got to be change. In fact, if you take a look at an inventory of his life, he seems to be doing pretty well in business. The fishing business is going well. He's got multiple boats. He's got partners. He's got a family. He's got a wife. He's got a mother-in-law. He, he, he's got all kinds of, of things. He's got, relative, he's got friends. He's got uh, you know, business partners that when he needs some help, man, they are there to jump in at any moment. Not only that, this encounter that he has with Jesus it's pretty cool, and we're going to unpack that this morning. But one of the things that I want you to see, this isn't even the first time that he's met Jesus. In fact, he kind of has a backstory with Jesus. He's been hanging out with Jesus for a little while. He's been curious about Jesus. He's heard about Jesus. He's had conversations with Jesus. And in fact, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus comes to his house. Jesus has dinner at his house. It's probably part of the reason why Jesus felt so comfortable borrowing his boat, you know, in the middle of a, of a sermon. But, man, he's been hanging out with Jesus. All the pieces of life seem to be together. This is not a person that you would look at. Now, there is a guy who's hungry for life change. But here's what you need to see. Peter is a completely different person at the end of this passage than he is at the beginning of this passage. Whether he was looking for it, whether he was hungry for it, whether he felt that he needed it, his life is transformed, rearranged, and changed by Jesus in this passage of Scripture. Now, what changes Peter's life? What unfolds in this passage, these passages of Scripture that changes his life in this way? There's a handful of things that I can't wait to show you in this passage this morning. The first thing is, he is changed by the words of Jesus. He is changed by the words of Jesus. Now, quick question. How many of you had a favorite teacher when you were in school? Raise, raise your hand, okay? Raise those hands good because there are some teachers in the room that need to be encouraged and know that they're making a difference uh, when they teach school. Now, you may have had a favorite teacher. You may have liked this teacher. So I, I love this teacher. This is a great teacher. But I don't know how many of you would love that teacher so much that you would follow them around the state to hear them teach. You know, my favorite teacher is going to be diagramming sentences in Pineville. I got to go. Uh, my, 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 favorite, my favorite teacher is going to be teaching the quadratic equation down in Grand Isle. I'll be there this weekend. My, my, my favorite teacher is, is going to be lecturing on the teapot dome scandal in Minden. I, I, I need to be there for that. Can't be at your birthday party. I'm going to go hear the lecture on the teapot dome. Uh, so I don't know whether you've done that or not. But what I want you to see here in this passage of Scripture, that's what people did with Jesus. Wherever Jesus was teaching, they went to follow Jesus. Wherever D Jesus was teaching, a crowd would gather because they would say, Jesus, tell us about that one more time. Jesus, tell us exactly what that means. You see, the Word of God tells us that when Jesus taught, he taught differently than everybody else. Uh, the words that it uses in Scripture is, he taught as one who had authority. 
His teaching was different than everyone else's teaching. His teaching mattered. When you listen to it, you're like, wait a minute. This isn't just information. This isn't for a test. This is reshaping, rearranging my life, my heart, my outlook, my whole experience of life. My understanding of God is being reshaped by what he is teaching. And when Jesus taught, he made everything else come together. I want you to know that's the reason why we build our worship services the way that we do. We love to sing, and we, we, we love Brian's leadership, and we love Hunter's leadership this morning, and we, we love all of those things, and we love to sing together, and, and that'll always be part of our services. But we also build the service to sit around, and not to listen to me, but to listen to the words of Jesus. Because Jesus' words change our lives. They have been for centuries. Again and again, the words of Jesus change our lives. A little bit later in the story of Jesus in the New Testament, his teaching got to be a little bit more of an edge. He had a little bit of a challenge, and he said, listen, if you're going to listen to what I'm saying, it's going to rearrange your life. And as Jesus began to describe how it was going to rearrange your life, there were some of the crowds that started to just kind of back up, uh-huh, uh-huh, and they kind of headed for the back door, and they just kind of went out, and the crowd started to go down. And in fact, at this moment, Jesus looks at the disciples and said, you guys leaving? Uh, are you going to join all of those folks headed to the exits? And I think it's really telling what Peter, the, the character in our story here, says. Jesus, we're not going because where else would we go? And in fact, he says, who else has the words of life? You see, Jesus taught as one who had authority. It was completely different than anyone else's words. It, held, it holds together all other information, teaching, and wisdom, and knowledge that there is to have. Jesus is unlike anyone else, and his words really, really matter. So Peter leaned in. He followed Jesus where he went. He wanted to listen to Jesus as often as possible because the words of Jesus change our lives. But it wasn't just Jesus' words that changed Peter's life. Because he had been hearing the words of Jesus for a little while now. But we also discover that Peter is changed by the blessings of Jesus. Do you like a good fish story? Here's a good fish story. Jesus borrows the boat. These are fishing boats. In fact, we almost get the impression that Peter may not have been fully leaning in because they've been cleaning the nets. They've been fishing all night. So then in the daytime, they come in, they clean the nets. The way that the fishing would work is that these nets were visible in the daytime, so the fish would kind of take the detour around the nets, but at night they couldn't see the nets and so you would catch them overnight so that the next morning you'd have to wash and clean the nets so that they too would be difficult for the fish to see the next night. And so Jesus, after he gets done using the boat, he says to Peter, hey, why don't you put your nets out into the, into the lake? And when he does, he catches this massive load of fish. It's more fish than he's caught before in his life. It is more fish than he can handle by himself, and he pulls the guys over from the other boat. He tries to pull them all into his boat. They don't fit into his boat. He pours them into the boat next to him. It says that almost both 
boats almost sink. And at the end of that, Peter falls on his knees before Jesus. Because this blessing of Jesus, this power of Jesus, this unfolding miraculous catch of fish, well, I, I would say that it knocked Peter's socks off, but he was more of a sandal guy, so he, he just was amazed by this moment. I want you to know that Jesus changes his lives by the blessings that he gives us in our lives. Now, I do need to be clear here that when we talk about the blessings of Jesus, this isn't just like in a video game where you get one of those power-up moments, where, where you, you, you eat something, you swallow something, you go over something, and then all of a sudden your, your, your little character triples in size and you've got extra speed and extra power and, and you're impenetrable against the things that they shoot at. I don't play a lot of video games. You probably figured that out now. But, but, but it's just this power-up mode. And we think that, you know, if I will follow Jesus, I'll have power-up mode for the rest of my life, and I'll be faster, I'll be quicker, I'll be indestructible, everything will go right for me. That's not always what the blessings of Jesus look like in our lives. In fact, if you were to describe that for Peter later in life, he'd, he'd chuckle at you. Because you might be having that conversation in prison. You, you might be having that conversation while Peter's waiting on death row. You might be having that conversation when, when Peter has lost the esteem of all the people that he grew up with. You, you might be um, having that conversation with, with Peter when, when he's lost some of the financial stability that he had uh, as a young man. And so Peter would get the idea that, oh, Jesus is just a power-up mode for life? I don't think so. But what I will tell you that the blessing of Jesus as demonstrated by this miraculous catch is Jesus loves you and knows exactly what you need. Jesus loves you and knows exactly what you need. And when we give our lives to Jesus, when we pour out our lives to Jesus, that's the person that stands in our corner, is a person that for always and forever and with all power loves you and knows exactly what you need. Now there's a little bit of a bobble here for Peter because when Jesus tells Peter, put down your nets, there, there's a little bit of an internal crisis that Peter's got to deal with because Jesus is the son of a carpenter. Peter's a fisherman. Jesus is an insightful teacher who teaches unlike anybody else. But Peter's the son of a fisherman, the grandson of a fisherman, the great-great-grandson of a fisherman. Peter could have the temptation to say to Jesus, listen, you stick to the Torah and I'll stick to the fish. And when Jesus says, take your net and put it down, there's something inside of Peter that says, ah, Jesus, Jesus, that, that's, that's, not, that's not the way we do it. You see, we, we, we fish at night. You don't understand that the, the fish are going to see the net here in the middle of the daytime. You don't understand that we've just spent the last three hours cleaning these nets. You, you, you don't understand the things that I understand about this. Jesus, that's just not the way that we, I appreciate it, nice thought, but, but I happen to know a little bit more on this one than you do. And there's this crisis, there's this tension that Peter's got to deal with between his gut, his experience, his logic, what he's been taught all of his life, 
And then what Jesus is saying that's opposite his gut, his experience, his logic, what he's been taught his whole life. And in fact, you, you hear this inside of Peter. He, he works this out loud. He says, but Jesus, we, we, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything at all. You can kind of hear him say, Jesus, you don't understand how this works. But because there's a wrestling... And Peter's feeling that, but on the other hand, he says, listen, he's been right about everything else. All right, Jesus, we've fished all night. We've caught nothing. You don't fish during the daytime. But because you say so, I will do it. Listen, the miracle, the miraculous catch never happens until Peter moves his life to say, because you say so. Now listen, I wonder how many times you've kind of bumped up against that crisis in the last seven days. When there's a call, a word, a direction from Jesus in your life. And I hear you, Jesus, but that's just not really what my gut's telling me. That's not the way that I've been taught. Logically, that doesn't make sense. I got to tell you, in the last week, I bet all of us haven't had at least one of those moments. And it could be we've had one of those moments every hour. And I don't know how you handled that. It was a real crisis for Peter. But he tipped the scale and said, okay. Because you say so, I will go against my gut, my experience, my logic, what everybody's told me, and I will do what you tell me. And when he does, he experiences the blessings of Jesus. And it begins to change his life. But I would also tell you that another thing that changes Peter's life is the experience with Jesus. I asked Brian to read the Isaiah 6 passage for us this week. Because as I was studying this passage, I couldn't help but hear Isaiah 6 in this passage. In fact, there's almost two parallels. It's the same outline for the two passages. Here's what happens in Isaiah 6 and this passage. There is a revealing of the presence of God. There is a retreat from the by the individual. There is a repurposing of life. And then there's the response. For Isaiah, he's caught up into the heavenly spaces and he sees the image of God himself on the throne. And Isaiah's response is, wow, this is amazing to see God with all the extra stuff stripped away so it's just a picture of God and his glory. And Isaiah's like, whoa. Peter, who's been around Jesus a bunch, something happens in the miraculousness of this catch of fish that he finally realizes, whoa. Jesus even knows more about fishing than I know about fishing. He knows everything. And there's something that happens in that moment that he says, whoa. And it tells us that he drops the fish. 
And he runs to Jesus' feet, and he falls at Jesus' feet. But it also tells us in both of these passages there is a retreat. It's not just the revealing of God. There is a retreat because Isaiah says, whoa, and then he says, whoa, because the holiness, the grandeur, the glory of God is overwhelming. And Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips who live amongst a people of unclean lips. He says, from the edges of my life, oh, I don't deserve to be here. You see what Peter says? He runs to Jesus' feet. And he immediately says, I am a sinner. Now listen, we don't, we don't emphasize that a ton, but, but I got to tell you that when we have a worship experience, when we have an encounter with Jesus, when we get close to God, whether it be in a worship service or whether it be in our own personal prayer time, there is a profoundness of the fact that we are going to come right up against the holiness of God that is going to move us from wow to woe almost instantly. I talked to, told the story in the first service this morning. Imagine, if you will, the storm's not as bad as it, it, they're, they're saying that it will be tomorrow. I don't know that. I'm just using this for an illustration. Just follow with me. This is not an official weather report, okay? Um, but just imagine there's a break tomorrow. You, you didn't do what they told you to do, and you didn't, you know, take all the inventory out of Walmart and put it in your shopping basket and, and stuff like that. And so you're, you're getting a little snacky tomorrow, you know, late morning. And you're like, man, I, I want something that's... that's <laughs> That, that's, that, that's snacky, not necessarily healthy uh, for me, and that I can get for $4. So you're like, Taco Bell, that's where, that's where we're going to go. And so you, you go and you go to Taco Bell, you get in line at Taco Bell, and you're in line, the line's not moving that fast, and you're kind of on your phone, you're not really paying attention, and then all of a sudden you just kind of raise your head and you look up at the person in front of you. You're like, it's Shaq. Shaquille O'Neal also got the same munchies that you got. Although I think his munchies are a little bit bigger than, 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 than your munchies, but there he is. Now, now listen, I'm telling you, after you both get your nachos bell grandes, and, and his are the nacho bells very grandes, uh, when, when you get your order and you drive and you get back in your car, you are going to call people and you're not going to tell them about your nachos. You are going to tell them, I was standing next to to Shaq. And you know what else you're going to say? That dude is huge. I promise you, you're not going to talk about anything else other than how huge Shaq is. In fact, between services, someone said, oh, I got to find a picture on my phone. My granddaughter got their picture with Shaq. He is, that's it. Now, what I'd love to say to you this morning is, and here's Shaq right now, but he's not coming through that door. The offering wasn't that good last week. Uh, Shaq's not coming through that door. But I'll tell you that Jesus is present in this place. And as much as we would engage with Shaq and say, he is huge, when we have an encounter with Jesus, we stand back and say, he is holy. Because if we haven't seen, noticed, and felt the holiness of God, then we haven't really been as close to God as we thought we were. And so Isaiah says, woe is me, 
Peter falls on his knees and says, I am a sinner. But I want you to see the grace of God. For Isaiah, he takes a coal, a burning coal from the altar, puts it on Isaiah's lips and says, your sins are forgiven. To Peter, he says, you are going to be a fisher of men. He says, I have a brand new purpose for you. Yes, I'm holy, but I've got a plan for your life that I'm going to receive you, I'm going to take you in, and I'm going to send you out with a brand new purpose in life. And Isaiah, the word of God says, now who is going to go for me? And Isaiah says, I will send me. Jesus says to Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. I, I will make the thing that you're catching is souls. And it says that Peter dropped everything and followed him. He dropped his nets. He dropped the boats. He dropped the biggest catch of fish he'd ever had in his life. And he was ready to walk away from every one of those relationships to follow Jesus. I'm always amazed by the calling of these disciples. Jesus walks up to Levi at his tax collector's table. Follow me. He drops everything and follows him. You imagine somebody walking up to you at your little cubicle tomorrow and saying, follow me, and you just walk right out? Now, some of you are imagining, well, that sounds pretty good, actually. But, but that was every piece of attachment in their life. Peter and the rest of these disciples says, I will trade everything for Jesus. Man, that's life-changing. That's because that's what Jesus does. They see, before this, Peter knew Jesus. Peter hung out with Jesus. Peter asked Jesus questions. Peter had Jesus over to the house. Can you imagine having Jesus over to the house? They had dinner together. They sat around the fireplace and told stories. Peter had been around Jesus. But in this moment, he has his whole life rearranged by Jesus. So I guess our application, our, our now what this morning is, what does it take to change a person's life? Can a person really change? In the deepest, most important parts of life, can you really change your life? No. Not in the deepest not in the most important places. You, you, you can't change. But here's the good news. Jesus is a life changer then and now. Jesus is the life changer. So listen, you can rearrange some things. You, you, you can move the deck chairs on the Titanic, so to speak. Not calling your life the Titanic, but you know. You, you can rearrange some things. But the deepest things, man, that's only Jesus. That's only Jesus who can do that.
What's interesting in this passage of scripture, it starts here in Luke chapter 5 and verse 1. It's about the crowds. The crowds, the crowds, there's so many people. So many people that Jesus has to get in the boat so that he can have some distance from the crowd and he doesn't get pushed into the lake and so he can teach. And there's all of these people. But do you notice at the end of the chapter or the end of this passage, the crowds seem to have disappeared. Now, I don't believe that they literally disappeared. I just believe by the end of the story, it's just Peter and Jesus. That's the only thing that matters. Is Peter and Jesus. Yeah, there are people around. You don't think that the crowd stuck around to see them pull up that giant mess of fish in the middle of the day? Oh, the crowd was probably bigger by the end of the passage than it was at the beginning. But for what it mattered, it was just Peter and just Jesus. Before we finish this morning, I kind of want the crowd to disappear. And I want there to be a moment where it's just Jesus and just you. Because that's where life change happens. Just you and just Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus wants to change your life through his words, through his blessing, but most importantly through an encounter with him. It is one of the core teachings of our church. One of the core teachings of the word of God is that there needs to be a life change event in your life. But there comes a time when like Isaiah, like Peter, that you fall on your knees before Jesus and you say, I'm not worthy. There's stuff in my life that isn't right. Whether you are a prophet, whether you are someone that's been hanging out with Jesus, whatever it is, when you stand next to that holiness of God, you realize there's something else that I need. And Jesus will take that hot coal. He'll take that word of blessing. He will take that repurposing of life. And if you will fall on your knees and call out to him, he will forgive you of every broken, messed up, dark, shadowy, sinful place in your life. The ones that only he knows about. He will pour grace into your life and to forgive every one of those. And he will repurpose your life. And you can spend the rest of your life under his blessings and under his authority. How on earth does that happen? It's an encounter with Jesus. It's not a church experience. It's not a pastor experience. It's not a class. It's the pouring out of your heart to say, Jesus, I want that. I need that. Would you do that for me? Now, the beauty of that thing is that once he gives that to you, it lasts a lifetime. Peter's famous for messing up later. He's famous for walking around telling people, I don't even know Jesus. That's kind of messing up, isn't it? But I will tell you that when he gives his life to Jesus at this place, there's no tradebacks. Jesus never walks back out of his life. And he'll never walk back out of your life. Let me pray for you. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, I don't know where folks in this room are. 
I don't know what their story is. I don't know what their hunger for life change is. I don't know whether they believe it's possible. I don't believe whether they're hungry for it. I have no idea. But Lord, I pray that your word, your spirit would work across this place. And Lord, there are individuals in this place that need to fall on their knees before you and say, change me forever. They've been hanging out around Jesus. They've been hanging around Jesus' people. But they've yet to have that life change encounter with you. Church, it's just a prayer like this. I feel that tug on my life that I'm supposed to say yes to Jesus today. And so Jesus, I ask you to forgive me and for you to be the north star of my life, the forgiver of my sins, the person who I yield authority to. Lord, I ask that you would do that in my life right now. I want you to know, church, I was reading in the Word this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It says, He is a faithful God. He will do it. If you ask Him to be the forgiver of your life and to be the ruler over your life, He is a faithful God. And He will do it for you, for you, for you, for you, and for you.